Precision details, but mm-hmm. a, a cute story might help. Uh, all right. Well, let me paint you a picture, a word picture. It was high school, high school, on a trip of some kind, like a band trip or a choir trip or something like that. And my girlfriend at the time, and this was like my second girlfriend ever. And in this, you know, like girlfriend in the sense of like, like we kissed once and then mostly just like held hands, I think like that kind of girlfriend to talk on the phone. Yeah. Talked on the phone. Cause there's no such thing as text messaging. Right. We talked on the phone. And I guess um, we had, I guess we had AIM Yeah, in but I high school. We had AIM. I, I didn't have that. I had to call her parents house and like ask for her to be put on the phone like had to like go through the gatekeeper that was you know like right. mom, mom or dad some kids had a second line that was like top secret that you knew you could call upstairs or whatever and the parents parents weren't around on it absolutely bonkers absolutely uh i couldn't i, I had i had no n- none of those frivolities none of those luxuries this but this was on a bus ride and we had been holding hands for quite some time, you know, like not in, on the bus ride, but I mean like dating slash holding hands for. <laughs> okay. I definitely did think you meant on the bus ride. Like, well, we were on the way to fucking New York. So <laughs> it had been 11 and a half hours at this point <laughs> it was, because, we were, because right. we were both in high school well, and the most that either of us had the nerve to do was hold hands. And so we were doing it as hard as we could for as long as we could. It was actually the whole bus, the whole choir trip was also simultaneously like a radio station contest to see. Like <laughs> it was one of those where like you have to hold on and like the last one to let go wins, uh, you know, free tickets to the Guns N' Roses concert. Um, right. There were players in the back of the bus who were they didn't have a good strategy as far as that went. Right, exactly. Uh, and so, but like we had been dating for some amount of time, and I had made zero to to her credit. This this is a story about how she dumped me, and to her credit, she made a good move. <laughs> I'm gonna jump. To, I'm gonna jump to the punchline here. She made a great move, and I because I had made no effort like i i didn't know what i was doing so i had made no positive efforts like other than like holding hands once in a while and calling her once in a while but like yeah i sat there on the on the bus and like she kind of like switched seats to like sit next to me and then like broke up with me on the bus ride mm. and then like switched back to her original yeah. seat and then i just like had me in the bus ride to just sort of sit there and think about what could have been? Did you did you have a a seatmate that like switched at first and then like was like super either like just read hilarious or sad as they sat back down like well if it's just me again, <laughs> I think they like I think I did and I think they just read the vibe that it was like qu- it was quiet time <laughs> it was not time for chat chatting up Ben and uh, that was the last time that was the last. That was the last time where I felt real burned. I think ever all my other relationships after that, I got more a little more mature, and and the breakups that I had after that felt a little more amicable and and a little a little better handled. But that was the first real one where I was like, like a gut punch, like a gut punch to the old heart. Right, right. How about a heart you? Heart punch, if you will. A heart punch. Oh, I don't know when <laughs> when the last time was. Uh, but I can I can think of a few examples. I'll you know we might as well talk about high school when uh, um, my I think it was my second girlfriend. These second girlfriends um, are rough. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a sophomore slump right. type of situation. It's it's like you know oh look at me I'm fancy I know what having a girlfriend is 
and so I'm going to fall desperately in love with her after three days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what I did. Um, and then this happened to be uh, our our friend who was always going to marry our other friend. <laughs> and so once she realized that she wanted to marry our other friend, she broke up with me and broke my heart. Oh. I was I was weeping. I was so so heartbroken at, at this having happened. And yeah, it was. It, it 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 ought to have happened though, right? Yeah, like I can fault I can fault this girl in no ways for breaking no, up with me. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Well, and I generally don't fault anyone for anything they did in high school, and I mostly because I expect the the same courtesy. <laughs> I guess it says more about me that I have that standard than it does about anyone else. Please don't judge me based on what I did then. Yeah. I could get down with that role. Well, you know, Finn today had, uh, he was literally burned by love. Indeed. We, we took a look at, uh, at at the first episode of season four, where we've just kind of decided to, to pick up the show. Um, and and so we get a little uh, a little recap of our cliffhanger from the end of season three where Finn had first met Flame Princess and uh, got a pretty solid crush. And at the end of season three, she had uh, jumped out the window and run away. And so, of course, uh, now Finn, not only is he after a girl, but he's got a quest. Yeah, yeah. And the whole episode is, is, is Finn chasing down the Flame Princess in order to convince her to give him a chance, basically. Um, mm-hmm. To give them a chance, because he is so convinced that they are meant to be um, that that he he ignores a lot of other of a lot of obvious signs as to why they are not meant to be. First of which, right. her, which first of which her being a being of elemental fire that destroys everything she touches with fire, including mortal beings such as Finn. <laughs> Right, uh, but you know this. Uh, if we if we consider PB in any way his first relationship, uh, of course unrequited. But uh, <clears throat> if this is Finn's sophomore slump, he has gone ahead and and fallen hard. Yeah, without being able to recognize any of the signs because he doesn't know what signs are. Right, I found myself. I found myself pitying Finn in this episode, but I also yeah. found I also found myself. Getting very strong, like, you know, like nice guy vibes from Finn in this one as well. Like, I was a little creeped out by some of the things that he did for sure. Right. Yeah. I think in like the class, I think this is one of those things where like in the classic sort of uh, fairy tale genre or or just like classical um, tales from a patriarchal culture uh, that the prince chasing down the princess um for love in the name of love should be considered like an it would be considered an honorable quest right like that would be an honorable right. thing but they put a twist on it the the adventure time writers put a twist on it and make it very clear that like finn is finn is not being honorable he's being desperate and and selfish and un unlistening like he's he's not hearing her it's a div- it's a different take, and uh, I think one that is more appropriate, and one that that has you know absorbed the realities of of modern culture. Yeah, I, I do think that uh, I can forgive Finn for chasing after her because he's a boy, but that's like the that's one of the things that like you know I found a little creepy. It if it were an adult, it would be like a stalking for love type situation. Like, look how cute it is that he watches her when she sleeps. Right, right. <laughs> uh, you know, anytime that you are physically chasing someone in order to convince them to, I don't know, be with you or ha- or smooch you or whatever, you're on exactly the wrong foot. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah, the chasing. But I mean... It- the the theme I kept that this came the, the theme that this like came, brought up for me this whole episode was um, acceptance was like the the lesson that I think that like Finn was being taught and I think that that like in, in two ways I think Finn was being taught the lesson of acceptance through throughout the chase he has to learn to accept that he and this flame princess are not a good match they should not be together they simply cannot be so he needs to accept 
that his feelings will not be reciprocated. But I think he also needs to accept that like being on his own or like not having a princess to quest after is also okay. Like that's, you know, like he, I don't know if he actually learned that lesson quite yet, but like he made a quick jump from questing after PB to questing after the flame princess and didn't give himself much time to, um, sort of just be with himself in that moment. Yeah. Now he's, he's a boy. Just be with Jake or just be with Jake. (laughs) Let's be honest. I don't think Jake would probably give him a whole lot of time to meditate. Fair. But I think like acceptance was what I was as I was watching this. I was like, okay, this is this is what this lesson is teaching me. This is what this lesson is trying, or this is what this episode rather is trying to uh, to say to all of us that acceptance is something we all need to learn. Uh, we need to watch Finn learn it. Yeah, I think so. And the the thing about his quest this time is that he can't beat anybody up at the end of it, and he is more or less powerless. And that is what he has to accept is no matter how far I chase, no matter what I say or or do to try and, and demonstrate it, ultimately she is someone else and I can't control what she does. Right. That's right. I I think that's interesting that you brought that up, the, the idea of um like that he can't he can't be act he can't actively affect this situation. Like he there's no action he can take to change how right. things are. And I've been thinking about that a lot recently with the pandemic and and things like that, where like the pandemic, I don't think qualifies as an apocalypse. It's certainly (laughs) on the scale of positive to negative. It's highly negative, but and we're like three variations away from the apocalypse. Right. But like variants, I should say. Right. But like in, in terms of it's a catastrophe and I think what a lot of people in the world, when they think of catastrophes and how to plan for them, they think about the actions they can take. And I think that's like manifest it in terms of like, oh, okay, like I'm going to have a bunker or I'm going to have a food storage system or I'm going to get a weapon. Like I'll, I'll like have like a, like I'll have ammo to like fight off whatever would happen during this catastrophe. And like, I don't think a lot of people are prepa- were prepared for the kind of catastrophe where like the only thing you can really do is just like be compassionate towards everybody and like that's the way to get through it like sort of that's like mask wearing but also just like accepting people for like where they're at in terms of their level of comfort and their level of fear and it is a it's a different way to handle an apocalypse or a catastrophe that I I don't think people we're prepared for a lot of people so, were prepared for. So you're saying if I go in my bunker alone and everyone dies, but me, I don't win. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Or like, it makes you realize that like most catastrophes, most apocalypses, like the biggest danger to you is going to be like, you know, dying of dysentery from bad drinking water. It's not going to be because you didn't have enough, like machine like machetes taped to your arms in some, or some sort right. of like makeshift armor that you created enough uh, training right right you can't train and and i think that that's a mental shift i think like that's that's hard for people to deal with like to feel it it feels like you're powerless it feels like it feels like inaction when really it's not like the like compassion is an act and listening is an act and you know accepting other people is an act it's just not the kind of act that like movies and books taught us would be required for like when the the end of days comes basically right and and finn is uh a boy and so yeah and 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 his whole life revolves around questing and and an action he's defined by action and so the fact that he can't take an action to solve this problem is you know all kinds of frustrating yeah it's 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 like a new problem to him, mm-hmm. a, a new type of problem. He's never seen this type of problem before. Like, it, well, I guess he he has encountered it somewhat with PB, mm-hmm. uh, but this is, I think, Flame Princess being new is 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 a different thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not sort of a long simmering crush on his like big sister ish figure. 
uh, it's this brand new second, you know, rebound, head over heels, ignoring all the signs type of situation. Yeah. And, you know, I feel for him because, you know, even to take it down a notch, it's, it doesn't just apply to uh, doomsday planning. Like, uh, you know, being accepting when you can and cannot affect a situation is part of just uh, growing up. That's just part of adult adulting, right? Like that's. Some yeah, it's the it only than... way that you can make it through a day. Right, right, exactly. Uh, self-management and learning how to be active when necessary, but also be reactionary or just passive listener when necessary. Like those are those are high order thinking skills. Those are high order compassion skills that take time to develop, and especially are hard to develop when you're in the midst of teenage raging hormones like Finn would be. Right. Yeah. He, he, nothing inside of him is screaming at him that he should listen right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there's no like hormone or gland or organ in his body that is interested in listening. Yeah. So he has a rough go of it. He, uh, he chases the fire princess all over, all over kingdom come to the goblin kingdom in particular, where she has decided to try to make her own new fire kingdom. And I really liked, I really liked the metaphor they created where anytime Finn put out any portion of the fire that she had created, that it physically hurt her. I think that really drove home this problem we've been discussing, which is that like the actions he is taking is, is harming her. Like he, by, by chasing her, by not listening to her by encroaching too closely and not giving her her space. He is physically right. harming her. Like that was such a smart metaphor that they created, that the, the show created. I, I was, I was pretty impressed. Yeah. Like taking a step backwards, Finn doesn't understand that that is a thing that you do. Right. Right. You know, it's a choice that you make to step backwards and by doing so, the other person is better off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if if all you know is responding to what you see in front of you heroically, then you don't, you know, there's no taking a step back. Yeah. Oh, man. Finn, Finn is in dire need of some, of a different influence in his life besides Jake for, at this yeah, moment. Yeah, I think so. Um, I... One line that that Finn said um, that stuck with me was at, I can't remember at which point, I think Flame Princess has just run away again and he's in tears and he says, why can't I just like a girl? And that was like really specific to Finn's situation because like he's the only human boy living in a post-apocalyptic world. Mm-hmm. So why can't I just like a girl? Why do I always have to be like out on quests? But that's something that every boy has said or every every person who likes girls has said. Right. Why why is this so hard? Why can't I just like someone? Right. Why isn't that enough? Why isn't me liking them enough? Yeah, it's tough. I feel bad, Finn. I'm sorry you had to go through this, but it was a good episode. Uh, and I think we have uh, we should talk about one other just gem just gem part of this episode which is a third character a third a third team member of the finn and jake uh adventuring squad uh that joins them for this adventure which is neptor the discarded neptor is back the discarded robot do you remember what neptor's original function was well i mean he for hide and seek i assume i I can't remember he he's he's no so he uh finn built neptor to be a microwave so that it could, or an oven so that it, it Neptor, he, I don't know, it could uh, bake pies and then throw them at Ice King because they were trying to get like the ultimate prank on Ice King. And so it was going to be that this thing could like bake and throw pies real, real fast. Uh, but then Ice King used his magic to like give Neptor the breath of life. And then they had like a competition to see who was the ultimate creator and Neptor wound up going with Finn. Fantastic. Well, uh, yeah. he... Not that I've watched that episode six times or anything. Uh, I appreciate you doing that kind of research because I, I didn't. Um, 
Neptra comes to us in this episode after they are after Finn and Jake are rummaging around their treehouse, uh, trying to find parts to make anti-fire suits, uh, and they pull off a pile of rubble, and Neptra is underneath a pile of rubble, uh, having uh, having thought that all this time, I think he said like eighteen months or something like that, that he thought that this had been an epic game of hide and seek, that he was winning hard. By not being right. found. Extremely proud of himself for, yeah. for winning hide-and-go-seek so well. Yeah, and Neptor is a very pathetic character in that he, he, you know, he lives to serve his creator, Finn. He lives for his, his uh, approval, for Finn's approval, and has no other real high other, other functions other than that, other desires. And it's, uh, but he's hilarious because that is his only desire. So, and he will do anything for that. So, uh, Finn, yes. Finn asks Neptor to help them build a fire suit, uh, and an- both of them anti-fire suits. And he does, uh, and he creates some pretty, pretty dope ass fire suits, anti-fire suits that, um, basically builds them like some, some like Pacific rim, like sort of mech suits basically that they can operate from within. <laughs> Right, right, and uh, they are—they become impermeable to fireballs thanks to. Evidently, I'm not sure whether it was like Finn's programming or Ice King's, you know, bolt of life that gave Neptor such like technological expertise. But Neptor seems like a really good engineer. Also, they had oven mitts. I think was the other part of the the anti-fire, <laughs> the anti-fire suit that they harnessed the power of oven mitts. Yeah, and then and then Finn's head was inside of Neptor. Right. Uh, we are as in one in the creator. suit, which I, I think Neptor that was Neptor did that on purpose. That was that was exciting for Neptor yeah. to have Finn's head all you know the creator is 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 uh, incubating inside of Neptor now. Yep, we are as one. <laughs> uh, I love Neptor. I mean, I thought that was my favorite like overall joke of the whole episode was just like the inclusion of Neptor and his um, yes and his attitude towards Finn. But I think like, you know, as a, as an opener and a nice tie in tie over from the previous close, the previous season closer, what a nice episode and what a good, just a lot of cool little like writing bits. Like we, like we mentioned the, 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 the metaphor of hurting, hurting the flame princess by stepping on her fire or being not giving her enough space. Basically. I just really keep going back to that as being really cool. Um, and in the end, yeah. in the end, fire princess, does uh, they do get to a point of acceptance and, and you know and finn, yeah they do start to understand each other yeah finn puts it on the line i mean really what it takes is finn just stopping like he, he finn has to just stop he's overwhelmed with emotion and he starts crying and he can't go on he's too frustrated and too sad but that is actually what allows flame princess to connect with him a little bit on an, on, a, right. on a personal level um, as soon as he stops pursuing her and just is vulnerable himself, she connects with that. But they they quickly realize still that like it, there is simply too much of a barrier. It simply is not something that can come to pass. And while I think it makes them both sad that that is true, I think by the end of the episode they both accept that 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 is what must be that they cannot be. I together. don't think that Finn is quite there. Um, the, the last thing he says is it hurt, but he says it in like a excited kind of way. Like, like, I think that it, it seemed like Finn had not necessarily accepted that he couldn't be with flame princess, but had been sort of excited by the difficulty of it. I think, I think it has, it may have become even more of a quest for him. But I think that I do think that he understands that it's not a, a you know, a dungeon. It's not a, a, a trial with, you know, a reward at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he he seemed excited. And I think, you know, he has found like a new reason to be excited. That's fair. That's fair. OK, I'll buy that. We'll see if he pursues Flame Princess or if he simply pursues other love interests in the future in a different way because he's learned something from this particular encounter. Right. I think this was a great example of a a show where a character learns a universal lesson in a way that's perfectly specific to that character. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, let's move on then to uh, what I thought was, honestly, it was a lesser episode. Uh, this this second episode in uh, season, t- uh, season four, which is called Five Short Grables. It's goofier, that's for sure. Um, yes. The Five Short Grables is a... It, it, it all it all it is all wrapped around a very a conceit. It is all wrapped in within a a very f- tight framework and um, like a gimmick. A gimmick is the word. Yeah, it's it's all wrapped up in a in a pretty tight gimmick, which is that we are tuning in to some sort of futuristic intergalactic some kind of like television right. program cosmic alien broadcast of some kind right and being hosted by a uh, a very a very um kind and goofy and, and amiable alien character with a giant giant head um yes and he's kind of like telling us all a bedtime story or like that we're like it's sort of like that kind of a vibe like let's listen to these stories to all together uh, children is kind of the vibe he's given in the in the same theme or in the same style as other television shows have done um you know short films about springfield um anthology of interest that futurama has done sort of these like mini mini story arcs that connect in in, in minor ways and it's sort of just like right. a, a way to tell f- uh in this case five very short stories and that each have sort of like one one little joke in each and uh one yes. one major one little theme and then and they and we move on but we get to see a bunch of characters from around the world around the world of ooh uh in in funny little scenes um yes but before we hit we jump into those i wanted to talk to you about the setup which is we 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 see this broadcast which seems to be like the living room of this alien who is hosting the show and right. The living room has some decor in it. Kind of, he's got like a fireplace, but it's not like a real fireplace. It's like burning. It looks to be like some sort of nuclear fireplace or something like that. It's like burning raw atoms. Future fire. Yeah. He also has a globe, a hollow. It's a hologram globe that is spinning, mm-hmm. and it looks like Earth. Like it's a, it's a, it's a spherical planet that seems to be spinning on this like globe, but there is a giant chunk out of it. Yeah. And I thought that was, I mean, I, I, I picked up what they were laying down and mm-hmm. after having known that after in previous seasons, how they've sort of dropped that the world of Ooh, the land of Ooh is, is in fact a post, some sort of post cataclysm earth to then see a, uh, a globe resembling earth with a big chunk out of it as if like an asteroid hit it or some sort of explosion just blew a chunk off of it. Uh, right. I was like, Okay. So I don't know what caused that, but right. I think I'm supposed to pick up that like that's there's that's the that's a physical manifestation of whatever cataclysm occurred. Yeah, I I think that the implication that I got was that this this alien uh, is looking at ooh and and so is you know looking at these stories on ooh and so you know is near ooh and so has a projection of ooh pulled up basically on on its map i see i see i'll buy that so interesting like a cool way to do like a little bit of subtle world building even in this like yeah. silly little conceit of an opening and the yeah the 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 sort of sly world building is is one of my favorite parts about this show and they they take advantage of the animated medium uh to do that very ju- very cool so let's move into the episode itself the episode proper the, our, our intergalactic host sets it up that we're going to see five different stories, and we do. So let's kind of hit them all. Uh, we'll try to do them in order. I think we can do it. So we open with the story of Bimo. Uh, I love I love this one. I, I, I'll do anything for Bimo. I think this is probably the best one. I think they open with the strongest uh, in this case. Um, it's this, the whole punchline, the whole bit is that Finn and Jake... Uh, and are leaving the treehouse for the day and BMO, their little sort of video game console helper robot. Um, right. Also a, a seemingly like sentient machine. Right. Um, is, is staying in the house for the day and it wishes them a good, a good journey to pick up groceries. I think is where they're going. The grocery kingdom to pick up <laughs> groceries. the grocery kingdom. And the, uh, but the whole thing is that while they're gone, 
BMO has apparently a little ritual that they do um, <laughs> that is just adorable and sad and poignant, but also hilarious. Um, BMO pretends to be a real a real boy, as they describe it. Um, but mm-hmm. but the whole bit is that they go into the bathroom and they look in the mirror and they have a conversation with themselves as if the as if the uh, the reflection in the mirror is a different being, and they are talking. They are showing their reflection how much of a real boy they are and all <laughs> do you have to remember the name of the of the of the reflection oh yeah yeah the reflection's name is football <laughs> right and you know like hello hi what's your name my name is football my name is bimo and she's got a little voice it's like barely different from their own voice but it is a, a distinct voice for football that that bimo does and it's adorable and the the whole thing is like, oh, let me show you how much of a real boy I am by doing things that real boys do. And I didn't really have a gender in mind for BMO, but BMO describes themselves at like they use the phrase "real boy," so I'll I'll keep using that. Yeah, like I I had up until this point I had had misgivings about what BMO's pronouns or gender gender was, but uh, when I, I'm comfortable saying he for BMO now after. Uh, he says that he's a real little boy. You know, I would say he about Pinocchio when he was still a puppet, right? Sure. All right, that's fine. They both want to be little boys. I think that's fine. So, uh, yeah, but all the things that he does to prove how much of a real boy he is are hilarious. Uh, using, Using a toothbrush, but like just... Like not really, just like scrubbing a toothbrush, scrubbing a toothbrush across their console screen, shoving a bar of just tapping a bar of soap against their screen <laughs> is the best one, I think. Just like tap, tap, tap. Oh, uh, I I really like uh, sitting at the back of the toilet and pouring a glass of water between his legs, and 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 as the water flows, just going peeing. Yes, so excitedly <laughs> and so proud. It's fantastic. And then the we pull back, the camera pulls back to reveal that Finn and Jake are actually watching in sort of uh, b- bemused horrification or something, like just sort of like bewilderment, I guess is the word. Right. Yeah. And and Finn, Finn says something like, I told you that BMO does weird stuff while we're gone. <laughs> yep. And so that is story one. That is story one. That yeah. B- BMO it's does BMO weird. BMO and football. BMO and football. BMO does weird stuff. While Finn and Jake are out, we transition. We have a we have a bit of a, a narrative transition now to the second story, which is Finn and Jake. Um, and Finn and Jake are their whole storyline is finding the perfect high five, trying to trying to achieve the perfect high five. And they they it is almost Looney Tunes esque in the way they go about this uh, this goal, right? Because of course, to Finn and Jake, the perfect high five is is you know, just by its very nature, the biggest high five, the fastest high Most five. Most powerful, right. Power. Right. Uh, fastest, yeah, powerful. Yeah, fastest, hardest, most loudest, you know, hand slap it, it equals best. And so they, uh, it is a very simplistic storyline where they start out doing a regular high five and they kind of whiff it and they kind of get, they get a little upset about that. Then they do a better one, but they're still not satisfied. And then they start realizing, okay, if we start further and further back and we run at each other, we get more and more satisfying high fives. So then the only logical conclusion is that they need to run what seems to be, I don't know, several miles away from each other and, you know, use giant, like a giant slingshot contraption in Finn's case. Yeah, like Acme Company slingshot. Exactly. And in Jake's case, he uses his stretchy powers to sort of turn himself into a giant slingshot. And then they just launch each other through the air at each other at, uh, you know, what, Mach 3, basically. Yeah. Um, But we don't get the resolution to that story. We basically get the opener. And then we transition. They, They do sort of a visual transition as Jake and Finn or Jake, I can't remember which one, flies by the open window at PB's laboratory tower we transition to our third story and this is the story where uh we are reminded again uh maybe you remember that pb is an amoral monster yeah yeah the that uh pb pb uh 
bows down to the uh, to the to the god of science and does and no it, other and no other right there nothing will stop nothing is, will stop in the name of progress for pb no, she will stop at nothing that is in the name of progress and she is we don't know what she's trying to achieve but she's going through a series of very specific calculations and very specific little experiments yeah performing sort of alchemical reactions right What's the first one? Uh, it, so the I I don't know bread. I think she she slices bread with a laser. Uh, she at some point she kills an octopus that like smiles at her. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh yeah, that's just, the one. She yeah, she's creating a tomato and that's right. Yeah, and she does it like a la like Jeff Goldblum and the Fly style, yes. where she's got like a teleporter device. And she takes some sort of octopus creature and a red balloon and just puts it in. She does it like intentionally as if like this is the right. recipe. Kind of like it reminded me of like Minecraft where like the recipe for stuff is like for like cake is like a it's like a metal bucket with milk in it and raw wheat and one egg. And if you combine them together, right. you get cake or something like that. Yes. And please don't write to me. I don't know what the actual recipe in Minecraft is for cake. I just know it's something like that. But yeah, video it's, it's video game crafting. Right, exactly. Uh, so she puts an octopus and a red balloon into a teleporter, and when it comes out the other side, she's got a, a like a beefsteak tomato, basically. A very nice looking tomato. Yeah. Uh, and, so she, and not a not a second thought for the octopus. Nope, it is gone. It has ceased to be. It is an ex octopus. <laughs> right. Yes. So. I mean, and then she goes through it. And we, it, it, it gets revealed. She's making a sandwich. She's making the ingredients for a, a very simple sandwich. It's like a cheese and tomato sandwich, basically. Um, right. The cheese of which she extracts, uh, I think probably in the most elaborate way uh, one could create cheese, which is putting a cow, a living cow, a sentient living cow in a, uh, uh -huh. in a, center, in a centrifuge, basically. Yeah. Uh, and 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 spinning the cow uh, as it makes sounds indicating that it's clearly uncomfortable yeah. uh, in the centrifuge until uh, that somehow produces cheese. Right. Uh, and and I thought that that it, this example really raises a lot of a lot of questions for us, but it also I think kind of uh, is a good insight into all these questions that I have about PB because. You're right. The cow talks, right. uh, and and like is clearly you know not not real happy about getting into the centrifuge, and the candy people talk, uh, but PB made the candy people, and and she doesn't seem to be, you know, she she seems willing to destroy them if it will uh, accomplish her goals, and and so you know. I don't know who PB thinks is people except for PB. Yeah, I think you're right. I was just starting. I think she has a God complex that yep. is that only it only manifests itself every once in a while because she's certainly compassionate towards the candy people at times, but only when yes. it suits only when it suits her needs. That is for sure. Right. Otherwise, she is a very dispassionate God. Right. Yeah, uh, I, I I think that you know in a very brief time they they uh, showed us just kind of it's the, they they do this with you know everything that PB does that's like morally questionable or just obviously <laughs> morally careless I guess uh, is done it's it goes unremarked upon like no one is there saying like PB why did you you know, why are you spinning that cow? Did you ever think that maybe the cow doesn't want to get spun? The cow never, you know, shows up in the next scene going, oh, God, I had to get spun by PB again. Um, they just sort of drop these little things that she does in like, they're almost like Easter eggs uh, because they're not really followed up on. It's just like, oh, every Easter egg says that PB uh, is kind of a monster. It's kind of an interesting question you bring up. Like, is there a character in Adventure Time that is the moral authority? Like, that is the rep like is there a moral authority in the land of Ooh? is it finn like finn has an ethos for sure but yeah i i think if i think if there's any sort of uh 
I, I don't think that there is necessarily a moral code uh, that that the show is, uh, you know, operating under. I think that we the the audience is meant to identify with Finn and to, uh, if not always agree with his take on the situation, at least uh, see him get to the right take on the situation. Yeah, and it, it's it's not necessarily about morality. I think it, it's it's fairly utilitarian. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, to the extent I think that that the show comments. Um, it's, it's by looking at, at what Finn does and why he does it. I think it's a common, well, I don't know about common, but I can think of another show where they basically sort of assert that the future state of humanity and or civilization, I guess, humanity doesn't really apply here in the land of Ooh, cause there aren't enough humans to really say that, but that the few, any future state of hum, of civilization is one in which like, there isn't that morality has stopped existing essentially like that that morality doesn't apply it, it becomes much more of a nat- natural state a feral kind of civilization like future right. futurama like plays with that all the time where just like people just get vaporized or like right you know like just and and no one comments on it like it's just a fact of life and i think it's like more akin to like the animal world where just like yeah like people like yeah, yeah well like it's, raccoon- it's like a regression to the wild west right, right like or raccoons you know get, medieval europe get yeah right like people get eaten people die yeah it's not because like it, there's no there's nothing to be mourned or there's like there's no morality to the world so everyone just kind of goes like yep that's what happens and they just and they go on with their day and i think that that's right that's a pretty common representation of, of, of future of the future, uh, especially like a dist- you know, a post-apocalyptic kind of future. Yeah. And I think what, you know, those things are saying is, you know, man in a state of nature without society is violent, right. is an animal and, you know, stops uh, considering the, the soul of the being in front of it and just, you know, responds instinctually to survive right well so pb and i I guess it's interesting too because like pb has very little compassion for like creatures she considers beneath her um whereas like finn's whole ethos finn finn very much like anytime he sees someone smaller than him in distress particularly yes particularly so uh if it's smaller than him his natural instinct is to protect that creature. Yes. Finn, Finn stands up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. Right. And for him to be attracted to PB, who really has no uh, feelings either way about other creatures. It's an interesting, yeah, uh, it's an interesting love interest for him. Yeah. Well, and I think that it's like Finn's sort of early default love interest is the princess. And, you know, I think that Finn is starting to be more worldly and grown up. And so he isn't just interested in someone because they're the princess that he uh, is the knight for, mm-hmm. basically. You know, that story is, isn't working for him anymore. Well, you know, we don't know exactly how Finn's feeling about PB these days, but presumably that story really isn't working for him as much anymore. And so he uh, he's changed in that way. Yeah. Well, back to our episode, Finn, uh, or sorry, PB constructs the finest sandwich that ever ever has been or ever will be within the confines of space time. She creates the perfect sandwich. It's a harrowing task for her, but she does it right. in the name of science and progress, and then um, hands the sandwich to Cinnamon Bun. <laughs> Um, to, for him to be the one to taste such this glory, and uh, and then and cinnamon bun just uh, shoves it in his digestion hole, which isn't even <laughs> his mouth. Like he can't even taste right. it. He basically has a garbage disposal in the middle of his body, right? And uh, he eats it and then regurgitates it in her face, and leaves her stupefied, dumbfounded, standing there covered in. 
spittle. Yeah, uh, FKA finest sandwich in the history of all space time. <laughs> right. Uh, it, right. It reminds exactly. me of a, a classic uh, camp counselor bit is to insist that you can make the most perfectly browned marshmallow at the campfire. And the okay. only way that that you can be beaten is through, you know, careful application of slow heat over time. And when you think you've got it, you bring me your brown marshmallow. And then the counselor always finds more white, sends them back. And then uh, they bring it over. And then the counselor puts it in his mouth and said, yeah, you win. <laughs> Fantastic. Same guy taught me that one. Taught me uh, my other favorite one uh, is it, it, when you're camping uh, up up north, Lake Superior is really cold uh, year round. You know, it's it's uh, 50 degrees or something, or even maybe even less in the water. And so uh, when you're there with 12 year olds, they like to compete and be tough. And so you say, okay, we're gonna see if you can stay in the lake longer than I can. You go first, I'll time you. <laughs> So you can see where this goes. Uh, the, the counselors tend to seed victory after the campers stay in the water for as long as they can physically manage. Any length of time, essentially. Yeah. And, and you know, these kids uh. will stay in for upwards of two hours, you know, shivering. And we, we care about them and they don't get hypothermia or anything. But it's it's very funny to to watch them just like... They they try so hard because they want to beat the counselor, and it just never occurs to them that the counselor's not doing what they're doing right now. Speaking of speaking of of uh, of, of people of authority who have who are dispassionate towards those <laughs> they care for, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, if if you can't, I mean, you know, I'm not a parent, and so in my mind, it's not worth interacting with kids if you cannot lie to and make fun of kids <laughs> i mean one of my favorite my, one of my favorite uh jokes about parenting that i've ever seen and not mine I, I and i i wish i could credit the person but i saw it on twitter um but said like 95 percent of parenting is making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and lying about what time it is <laughs> yeah uh on on canoe trips with the little ones 10 years old you take their watch away because if they don't know that it's lunchtime, they don't get hungry. But you better believe that if they see it's 1230, they're going to be starving. That resonates with me. I, uh, I think we should move on to our, our next story um, within the episode. Yes, so PB's anticlimax happens as uh, Cinnamon Bun throws up her, regurgitates her sandwich back on her, and we move on. So we've gotten uh, three stories at this point. The fourth is i'm gonna blank on it now we we move over to ice king ice king of course ice king is uh in his home with gunter his live-in penguin familiar um and ice king walks into the room and notices a stink some sort of stink and he's he's dismayed that his his palace smells so bad he wants to he wants to root out the source of the of the smell. And of course, for Ice King, it's a problem because uh, no princess will want to be with him if his castle smells like that. Right. He's not going to have any hot princesses hanging out with at, at his pad if that happens. So he tries to root it out. He determines that the source of the smell is in fact Gunter. Uh, Gunter just ripping farts all day long. I mean, I, I you you've probably been inside like the penguin house at the zoo. It's not like a real good smelling place, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not a it's not an illogical conclusion that the wild animals you live right. with might be causing some sort of smell. Who eat raw sardines um, all day? Right. Exactly. So he determines. He he tells Gunter not to worry, because he tells Gunter to his face that he's got a stank booty. I think <laughs> is the words. And it makes it, it makes Gunter a little sad to hear the, the such of a, a description. And he says, "Oh, don't worry, buddy. We'll make it all better." And uh, unfortunately, Gunter forgot that Ice King is a sociopath. Yeah, and making it fixing the problem just meant setting Gunter adrift on an ice floe forever. Right. Basically. And and you know, I think that Ice King is 
motivated by very different things, but he is much like PB in that other other beings are are objects to him. You know, like this mm-hmm. this penguin. Well, now it's just a stinky thing, and so let, naturally we get rid of it. I think it at one point he's cleaning up his palace and he just like walks out and throws three penguins onto the trash right in the alley <laughs> like they're literally yeah. just objects that he has done with and throwing away it is uh there is a point in every person's life i think that there is an object in your life usually like i, I would i'm guessing often a toy that on one day brings you immense comfort and joy and companionship and the very next day, because of whatever change has happened in your life and in your brain and maturity has changed for you, that all of a sudden it is now just an object that has no value to you and is, is equivalent to trash. Right. And I don't, I don't know if that, I mean, I can, I can remember toys. I don't, you know, I don't think anyone remembers the moment that it happens, but I think everyone has toys in their life that they remember very much being very passionate about holding on to right and then at some point that no longer is important to you right no one is ever going to forget about this stuffed dog and then you forget about the stuffed dog right it is a sad tale and gunter unfortunately was the velveteen rabbit in this case right where he was he was once although the story goes on so we should continue yeah, so gunter is moment, cast adrift but ice king continues to uh struggle against the the scent the aroma the the odor in his castle it did not go away when gunter left so ergo gunter cannot be the source uh and then ice king quickly realizes the source and the source is him the source is just he's a stinky guy and so he he demands that the remaining penguins wash him thoroughly which they do uh under under duress for sure but they do yeah, it yeah certainly under duress and they uh, they get him squeaky clean satisfactorily, apparently, and he's and then his problem is solved. And then Gunter comes back. Gunter makes his way back. Right. He's covered in water. He he theoretically swam back, which may or may not have been tough. It may or may not have been tough for him to he's, swim back. He's, he's unhappy, but um, he's certainly unhappy that he was cast yeah. aside so quickly. But but Ice King has no remorse. Ice King is. Ice King expects Gunter to be thrilled that Ice King has figured out the source of the smell. Right. If if Gunter ever said to Ice King, I'm, I'm I have no idea what Gunter could possibly be talking about. Right. Yeah. So uh, the story ends with with Ice King being quite pleased and Gunter being more or less resigned to his fate to be Ice King's. Uh, disposable companion right. basically although um, we we do see at the very end that it was in fact gunter's fault all along because uh ice king wonders how his armpits got so stank in the first place and then he puts gunter under his arm to sit and cuddle and gunter farts yep we're just going to be back at this again yep it's a it's a vicious cycle and our fi- we transition to our final story which involves Lumpy Space Princess, LSP, LSP com- t- participating in some sort of uh, kingdom-wide talent show, All, albeit sparsely attended. Yeah, but 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 attended by the ruler of the Candy Kingdom, at least, like certainly getting some some A-list celebs. Yes. attending the event. There's important but, attention uh, being paid. Right, hosted by uh, Peppermint Butler. <laughs> And it is a, my favorite joke of this whole episode is Peppermint Butler introducing the acts for this talent show. And, and he's, he's sending one off the stage as, as we get there. And it's like, he just goes, congratulations, Bobby. I think the guy's name is Bobby, but whatever it's congratulations, Bobby. You made two out of 10 baskets. (laughs) (laughs) That was the kid's talent. That was the, that was the talent. I love it. I think that's such a good one. Everybody has a talent. Yep, I think, and I, I'm completely relatable. It, it reminds me, uh, what we're what the at, at the time of this recording, the uh, the Olympics are happening in Tokyo, and I always I, I'm a firm believer of the theory that 
the the Olympics should adopt a average slub benchmark sort of thing. Like they should there should be a per, an average person for every event. Oh, just to be everything. humiliated. Just as a benchmark to show everyone how gosh darn great everyone yeah. is. Yeah. So you don't have that like that twelve percent of dudes or, or even higher percent of dudes who think they're going to beat Serena at tennis. Right. Exactly. Like the like first Simone Biles goes and does a vault, and then like a regular a regular dude tries <laughs> to do it, and they just run straight into the vault and just and like vomit because they ran into it so hard. <laughs> That's what I need. I want that for all sports uh, yeah. at the Olympics. Yeah, here's here's a reality check. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It would it would help a lot. Yeah, I maybe think. maybe it turns out we do need the lifeguard at the Olympics if we're just throwing some schlub into the pool to try and swim exactly. what a thousand meters. <laughs> exactly. So at this talent show, this sparsely attended kingdom wide talent show, LSP is feeling confident. She is wanting to win. I can't even remember what the prize is. I don't even know if there's a prize identified it other than literally just pride. does not matter to LSP because she will have adoration and attention. That's right. So she is going to uh, perform uh, perform a song uh, that she is super proud of. It is uh, it's a dope song it's, that she's got. It's right and, up. It's right in her wheelhouse. Right, and uh, it is all about loving, loving the lumps that she has. Loving, it's a, it's a very lump body, like body affirmative kind of song. Yes, and she's super excited to perform, and mostly she's super excited to win. Less about, less excited to perform, but she is thwarted because before she can perform, a different girl group performs her song. And the crowd goes wild and has stolen her thunder completely. They're and now, the clear leaders going into the clubhouse at the talent show. And then and LSP has to come on stage. And she has to come on stage and perform the exact same song. And it is uh, met with hostility from the crowd. Yeah. They think it is. They think she's copying them. She is. She has fallen prey to a very. A common, fa- a common problem, I think, for. Uh, for, for talent shows? I don't know where I was going with that. I don't know if it's a common problem with talent shows, actually. Not well-planned ones. Right, yeah. Yeah, you would have, you'd think that there would be... Pip-Butt really is maybe to blame here, where he, he put two singing acts, one after the other. Right. That's bad. That's a, that's a bad flow to the show. Yeah. It, 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 it also could be that, that these girls, we've never seen them before, they could be, you know, sort of espionage agents you know and they scooped they knew they found out what lsp was going to do and then deliberately did her song in front of her to what end though right to what end thwarting lsp which i'm sure that to lsp everyone the only reason that someone would do anything that gets in her way is to thwart her right lsp is is so just just delightfully completely driven by ego so LSP is driven near mad with frustration and sadness that she is uh, that she is perceived as being less than and and is not receiving the adoration. But all of a sudden, in her frustration, she finds a hidden talent, <laughs> which is which is um, tantruming essentially. <laughs> but uh, but she throws the basketball from the previous act. In frustration, she just pitches it at a member of the crowd and wings them, knocks them out of their seat, but but, but it ricochets off of them into the basketball hoop. And then it at turns point, out that she is just able to do that on command. <laughs> and the crowd goes wild. It is uh, The crowd completely turns uh, in her favor. And now, and she has declared the winner because uh, it is, in fact, the most remarkable talent that has been displayed thus far yeah. in the talent and show. And I, I think it was the only way that we could have gotten out of that situation. I don't see any other way for LSP to have got, gotten off of that stage except to have been declared the winner. She would have right. just sort of painfully sang the lump song and insisted that it was her own uh, until they just gave in and said, okay, LSP, you win. Instead, yeah. we, we had uh, a little deus ex machina she, you know, Maradona, hand of God, LSP could just bounce it right off of uh, all the poor candy people. 
Um, her joy is short-lived, though, because we finally have the conclusion in this moment to Finn and Jake's story. Because all this time, they have been flying through the air, uh, trying to connect on their ultimate high five. And at this moment, they do. And they connect in the sky above the talent show crowd with the most epic of high fives. It ricochets and echoes throughout the land, the epic hand slap that happens. And they fall to the earth, exhausted but victorious. And the crowd acknowledges the greatness. They go crazy for it. And Peppermint Butler quickly changes the results of the talent show to be that declare that Finn and Jake have one. And isn't that just so typical? A couple guys just swooping in at the last minute and taking the win from from the princess. Yep. Typical, typical. And then we zoom fully out of our tale, five tales, back to our original, uh, original host, our intergalactic television host who puts a nice bow on the whole episode and actually asks the, the, the crowd to, or the, the viewer that is to identify the theme that was expressed throughout all these episodes, all these little stories that is. Um, and they do a great like VHS, like little pause your, pause your video yes. here while you think about it. Uh, and then they reveal, Oh, in fact that the theme of all these tales were the five senses, uh, smell, taste, touch, hearing the other one <laughs> yeah i don't know um but th- i thought that the that that theme was like obviously just shoehorned in like it 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 was not an actual theme but i was curious right. did you identify an actual theme that ran through the five stories oh um well we I, we identified a minor one i think which is uh sort of the link we saw between Ice King and, and PB um, being callous towards those smaller than them mm-hmm. or those those around them. LSP was certainly, I mean, those are both, those are versions of egotism, I think, is like what, what those two characters are, are exhibiting. I think PB is exhibiting egotism. Um, I think BMO... Uh, wish like sort of uh is is inflating their own his own ego yeah by wishing to be a small a, a, a real boy and then um finn and jake i, I mean they're they're almost pure ego all the right, time right is, so i guess i could i could i could throw that one out there did you identify any yeah no i actually i really like that it's it's um along the same lines i i was working on this thing where it was about like uh, not necessarily like the seven sins, but just like sins or like really uh, fundamental flaws in our characters. Um, like the the easy ones, I think, are like Finn's lust for power. Now, he doesn't really get mm-hmm. into trouble because of it, but it is revealed like just how, you know, extra he will be when he's trying to be powerful. Mm-hmm. And it's then, almost gluttony. And PB, yeah. I think, is 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 like prideful that you know she will do anything in order to say that she has made the best sandwich in mm-hmm. you know that ever will be, uh, and it, those are the those were the easier ones. Oh, and then and then LSP is vanity, right? You know she she only thinks about herself in terms of how others see her. Um, yeah, and 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 wrath. For a bit there too. Yeah, yeah, right. I think van- I think van- you could you could put Bimo into vanity. Yeah, a that's bit what as I was well. thinking as well. It, yeah, Bimo is is vanity. You know, just sort of like uh, self absorption, solipsism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think s- self self um, a focus a focus on self. Uh, I think in different forms. Yeah, I think I, I, I call it ego egotism. Call it sins the, the the i think that's what a lot of those seven deadly sins are trying to are trying to uh those are always trying to steer people away from uh a focus of self and right. more outwardly to a, a focus of others is, is, is sort of the morality of the seven deadly sins so i think you've hit the we're hitting on the same theme here the yeah. thing that, that is uh so a focus you on self you, you might even say that something we could learn is that we need each other and we can't just be alone in our bunkers. 
I think you could say that. And I think, <laughs> uh, I think that you could say the structure of the episode sort of gives you that, the lesson of, of like that we, that it, we need each other that like each of these episodes, each of these stories in turn were stories of, of focus on the self, of focus of egotism, like, but there was a thread that connected all of them. Like right. we, we were able, we were able to transition from one to the other because these, the lives of the characters were sort of passing by each other at certain moments. Right. And and that allowed us as the viewer to move from one to the other. Yeah. As Finn so is I literally think, passing by the window of right. Ice King's palace. Right. So it is showing us that if we, if, if any of those characters had stopped for a moment to sort of look out the window or to notice what was going on around them, like maybe their story would have been different. Right. And you know, like, and it would have been different because they would have connected with somebody Mm -hmm. and therefore, uh, we don't. So therefore the, yeah, I think you're right that the theory, the, the episode is, uh, is telling us that, uh, that we should be able to stop and connect with one another when possible. Yeah. Or, or we fall prey to these, uh, sins and foibles. Yeah. One thing that I, I wrote down at some point when I was thinking about these episodes and it's something that I find myself writing down a lot lately is everything would be fine if people could just communicate effectively. Yep. Everything would be fine if you if we could just talk to each other. And that sounds like stupid and trite, but honestly, what situation could you not get out of by listening to someone? Yeah, I agree. I don't know. I agree. These are things that middle-aged men say. <laughs> yep, we figured it out. We figured it out. We solved everyone's problem. <laughs> just, just talk more. Preferably into a mm-hmm. microphone, I guess. <laughs> well, maybe we should use that as a as a signal to uh, to wrap up. Yeah, it might be. It might be good we'll to go talking. listen to some people in our lives. We'll stop talking. Start listening. We'd love to listen to you. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. Uh, it's let's, been a while. Let's do this Twitter thing again, at Podventure Time on Twitter. Uh, we're on Facebook. We have a, uh, a group there, the Treehouse Treasure Room. Um, I should mention that our, our theme music, intro and outro, is uh, by Will Yates. It's from his album, I want to say Putting the Kids to Bed, but that's uh, the... Um, Within Bam album. Will I'll get it right when I go back in and, and edit this episode. Uh, date night from the ep- from the album something else. I know it's date night. Um and in, in any case, uh that's that's our that's our thing. We we're we're doing this podcast again. I I'm super excited. Uh and um as much as I really do love hearing from and talking to Ben, we also would love to hear from and, and talk to you folks. I'm excited too. I'm glad to be back. It's fun to talk to you, Pat. It's fun to hear from people who listen to us. So we hope that you do reach out. All right. Let's make those connections. And until we connect next time, I've been Pat. I've been Ben. And this has been Podventure Time. Too. I'm glad to be back. It's fun to talk to you, Pat. It's fun to hear from people who listen to us. So we hope that you do reach out. All right. Let's make those connections. And until we connect next time, I've been Pat. I've been Ben. And this has been Podventure Time. Mm